Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, welcome and good morning. It is a joy and a privilege to be with you on this day that we mark out as God's day, as God's time for us to be together, even if it is through this digital means. And again, if you're a guest with us, we do hope you have felt warmly welcomed, and we do encourage you to take a minute and to fill out that check-in form in the comments so that we have a chance to offer you a word of thanks for being here with us. And again, to our regular attenders and our members, if you can take a minute and fill out the check-in form, it is tremendously helpful for us as we seek to be faithful to shepherding you all and to helping us stay connected and to keeping up with one another's lives. Well, this Sunday, I believe, brings us to the fifth Sunday in our Aspire series. And to, to date, we have begun way back when we, when we launched this season with God as divine community, God as trinity, and in that divine creative community, God dreams, dreams that God brings into a place of vision and vision that God, we see in the beginning of our Bibles, brings into being a world with humans. And our conviction, our belief as Christian people is that as the scriptures teach, we, God's handiwork, are made in the very image of the creator and thus we look to the creator to ask the question to what should we aspire? How should we be as humans in our lives and in this world? So we have been looking to God to give us the pattern, the trajectory, the way of being that we believe we're called to be in the world. And this morning, as we've gone from, from dreaming to vision last Sunday, this morning we come to builders, to people who make things, to people who take what's in their minds and their hearts and then actually begin to fashion reality, fashion something. And for our reading this morning, uh, we're going to again read from the book of Ephesians, but we're gonna back up to chapter two, where again we speak to, where Paul speaks to this idea of, of workmanship, if you will, this idea of laboring, this idea of, of doing something in the world. So friends, as you are able, I invite you to place your, your physicality in a posture of receptivity as we read from sacred scripture. And as I read, I invite you to listen for the word of God from Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse one, where Paul writes to this ancient church community, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following after the desires of our flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
out of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages that are to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Good and gracious God, creator, Dreamer, vision ear, designer, builder, God, we come before you in this time seeking to learn from you what you dream for us, what you desire for us, how you long for us to be together and in this world. So God, I ask that as I preach that these words that I have prepared might be your word for your people in this time. And God, I ask that you would speak through them and as and where necessary that you would speak in spite of me. And as I preach, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts would indeed be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our great rock, God, our redeemer, God, our savior. All of this we pray in the strong name of the Christ, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, my eldest son's very vocal uh, preferred national holiday, and I I guess it's not really a national holiday, but is April Fool's Day. And he absolutely loves April Fool's Day. He's always kind of working on his pranks, which of course always makes his siblings so happy and his parents just thrilled. But I was thinking about April Fool's Day, April Fool's Day in concert with Labor Day, and I was thinking, man, some creative parents out there could really take advantage of Labor Day if they wanted to get some things done around the home. We could easily make a arbitrary argument that the day named after labor, after work, certainly must be a day that we as a family are collectively called to organize our toys and to make our beds and to go out back and clean up the yard, whatever it may be. And of course, all the parents are saying, why didn't you tell us to ask the kids to leave the room before you went into this part of the sermon? Because now they're in on the game. But actually, I did not intend to preach a sermon on builders and building on the same weekend as Labor Day. And it kind of in a happy accident came together and I did a little bit of um, freshening up on what Labor Day was all about. And it came 
from the late 1800s, and there's some argument over who the actual founder of it is, whose actual dream and vision and idea it was that came into reality and that we continue to celebrate, observe as a country. But this quote, again, which they're not quite sure who to attribute it to, but I love this quote that, that, that is taken from the, the early days of the Labor Day movement. Labor Day, there ought to be a day that honors, that celebrates, that acknowledges those who from rude nature have delved and carved all the grandeur we behold. There should be a day that celebrates and honors those who from rude nature have delved and carved all the grandeur we behold. I really, I don't know about you, but I really like that quote for a lot of reasons. And the rude nature have delved and carved. It's hard for me not to hear those words and not to have my mind taken back to scripture, taken back to the book of Genesis where the spirit of God darts over the face of the water and carves and crafts and brings out of the primordial chaos our world, the God of the scriptures who we see dreaming, envisioning, designing, building, a God who we're told brings order from chaos. Whereas the early Labor Day movement, as this ancient quote goes, rude nature brings about the grandeur we behold. I really appreciate that language, and I think it's also helpful on a morning that we gather to talk about aspire and builders, the way that we aspire to be builders, because I think the word builders, as helpful as it is in some ways, also can be a little bit misleading because many of us, probably even especially some of the young among us, when they think builders, they probably think hard-hatted humans in large machinery having fun moving dirt around, frankly. People who are pouring foundations for buildings or crews of people who are framing out walls or putting up drywall or nailing up siding or putting on a roof. We think of builders and it's hard, it's hard not for our minds to kind of go to the myriad of reality TV shows on home renovations and fixer-upper because we, we've seen a lot and we can see a lot of the process of structural building, of architectural building, of buildings being built because in part, part of the nature of a building is that part of it is exposed to plain sight of anyone who looks from the outside. Buildings are meant to protect those inside from the outdoors, provide housing. The same is true if someone, say, were building a bridge or a path or a highway. These are all observable from the outside. So sometimes when we think of builders, we think very, very narrowly in this sense of building homes or highways or bridges. But I think the truth of the matter is that if we talk about building, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of things being built that we've never seen, especially firsthand. We've never seen a, a baby being built in the womb of a mother. I suppose God could have given mothers you know, translucent skin 
in the, in the pregnancy portion so that they could check in on the baby in the mirror, but God, probably in God's wisdom, realized that that might be a little bit creepy and did not. But there's all kinds of stuff that are built all the time that we don't have access to or that we don't experience in the same way that we might see the Atlanta skyline being built or a home being renovated across the street. And that's in part why I picked Paul's reading this morning and not one of the many texts, especially from the Old Testament, like Noah building the ark or the, you know, we've talked about the temple for the last couple of weeks and Solomon building the temple that David had dreamt of. We could have talked about building the ark of the covenant. Could have talked about that ridiculous human project, building of the Tower of Babel. But I didn't feel like any of those quite got at what this, what this Sunday about building is really about. And I felt like Paul's text this morning really hit at it and helped to, to kind, of, kind of draw some contour and some color to it in a way that I think is helpful and important. And there's a lot going on in the text that we don't have time to get into this morning, and I really want us to get to verse 10, because I feel like verse 10 draws together this theme in a way that is really powerful. Paul writes, for we are what he has made. So he's naming we are, an ontological statement of being. This is what you are, your identity. This is what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for, now the purpose, We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Now, what happens in the text leading up to this is Paul, he sets up this whole argument about God and God's grace and God's love and God's mercy being handed to humanity because Paul knows human beings really well, and he knows that we can make a competition out of anything, including our spirituality. And he doesn't want this Ephesian church to use good works in any way as competitive, as saying I have a a better standing before God or I've somehow done more good in the world so I'm above you, I'm higher, I'm loved more by God, I'm more saved, etc. Paul's like, no, 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 no. Let's just get that out of the way in the front end of this text. It's grace. Salvation, God's work, God's redemption, it's all grace. It's not because of anything in particular that you have accomplished. But then Paul, at the end of our reading this morning, he turns it, right? Now that he's done that work up front and made his point that it's grace, your salvation is not tied to your behavior, it's not tied to your good works, you don't get to earn your way into good standing with God. Paul says, no, 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 that's not why you adopt or live into this way of life, of building out good work. He says, no, it's because who you are. Because it's who you have been created to be in Christ. It's it's your nature. It's not something that you kind of have to conjure up and force upon yourself, but it's actually who you are. That's why in the text leading up to this, Paul does so much work kind of using this powerful language of light and of dark and of trespasses and of sins. And then Christ comes in and sort of reveals, turns the lights on to a dimmed humanity. We've sort of lost the plot. We've lost the story. We're confused about where we really are. We're born into this world disoriented. And the Christ comes and sheds light, offers a new narrative, a new story, a new reality. But then Paul's saying, but is it new? Is it new? 
Or is the Christ coming in and revealing what you've always been and what you've lost, what you've forgotten? Humanity, what you've always been, but what you've lost, what you've forgotten, you've gotten so caught up in in war and in competition and in fighting and in winning and in, you know, on and on and on the way that sin works its way into the collective realities of nations and of groups of people. And Paul says, y'all have been awakened to a different story than the one that God intended. And he draws Christ, just like John does at the beginning of his gospel where he places Christ in the beginning at the creation of the world. Paul's doing the same thing here. He's saying when you were created, when the idea of you was brought into the world, it was with the same Christ who's been revealed to you. It goes all the way back. You were created in the beginning for good labor, for good work, to build good things, to make good things. It's part of you. You have the capacity. All of us have the capacity to, to labor, to bring in and about that which is good. And the way that that which is good gets defined in this conversation, again, it goes back to chaos to order. Chaos to goodness, truth, and beauty. The, the pattern is God comes at chaos and brings about good. Beauty from ashes, something beautiful from something broken. And I think that what is so important about this whole conversation and why I think the caveat to builders is so important is because of the way that it it, it really, this message, this theme, what Paul is saying has the capacity to work its way into almost everything that we do in our lives. It's not just about building a physical structure. It's not just about this particular labor over here. I think it's about asking this bigger question of your life that goes back to another text that has gotten kind of myopically interpreted where God says in the early days to be fruitful and multiply to the to the humans. And we always think that has to be about procreation, but maybe it's not. Maybe it doesn't just have to be about procreation. Maybe it can just be about creation. Be fruitful, multiply, bring goodness, truth, and beauty into the world. Continue the pattern that the creator has set forth by the way you live your life. It doesn't have to just be about building a structure. What kind of world are you building? What kind of life are you building? What kind of relationships are you building? Your efforts. How are your efforts bringing goodness and truth and beauty into our world? Paul says that part of what the Christ came into the world to do was not just to bring in new creation, which of course he does, all things new. Jesus, the Christ, brings in newness, resurrection. But maybe part of what Christ does also is to shed the light backward and to also say, but you've always been beautiful in the sight of God and made in the image of God and made in the image of the creator. So, so with the divine capacity to create and to create good. But what I think Paul can observe in his own context is how quickly this gets robbed of us. And, and it's not a new idea. Just look at children. 
Many have, have talked about, if you look at children before it kind of gets zapped out of them, from a very young age, they're these little creators, these makers, these innovators. I think it's precisely why toys like Legos have had such staying power. Because Legos offer young minds endless capacities to build this, to build that, to try this. New creation at work. Their little minds can be free to dream and to craft and to make. And I think possibly this is also why many, many children, many, many children love to play in the dirt. Because what's the dirt but finer, more granular Legos, right? That has even less structure to it and more, more uh, you know, malleable, uh, of, of a malleable nature. You can ball it up, they can stack it, can make all kinds of things. Maybe children are attracted to the dirt because children are so creative and maybe they're creative because that's how they're made. That's how God made each and every one of us, we're all builders, but not simply just builders in the sense of the skyline of Atlanta, but people who build a world, who build lives. Children, these untaught little makers, little creators, little inventors, these, these little humans who will use up all the art supplies you give them every single time, making paintings and pictures upon paintings and pictures to the point where there's now an app where you can take a, again, you might want to earmuff your kids, but you can take a picture of all those paintings and things that your kids have put together for you, and there's an app where you can store all of them for keepsake, and then, of course, do with the real copies what you please. But creativity, even when it comes to, to getting a hold of permanent markers and utilizing them on their own bodies, Kids are little tattoo artists before they even understand how a tattoo works. You see, friends, I think what we're really getting at with builders is a theology of work, a theology of labor. Skyscrapers, they're easy for us to look at and to point at. Children can see buildings early on and, and they can associate building and hard hats with this kind of conversation about making something. But I think that, that building a physical building, it's just a metaphor for this bigger idea. Because let's be honest, most of us aren't gonna actually become architects. Some of us are, I know some architects. Some architects have come to East Side. But most of us probably aren't gonna be architects. And most of us aren't gonna necessarily be the builders who are gonna build the next great skyscraper in Atlanta. And let's be honest, it's a good thing because I don't think we want one skyscraper per every human who's ever walked the planet, right? We'd be in even more trouble than we're already in. But I think it's a beautiful metaphor that we can apply to this bigger theological idea of our effort, of our labor, of our work. The idea that, that at some level all good work is an act of bringing order out of chaos, is an act of making the world a better place for everyone. And I think one of the 
in, in the history, the, the, the big T tradition of the historic church, I think one of the groups that gets this better than most is the monastic tradition. And some of you may have come across Brother Lawrence in his famous little book, Practicing the Presence of God. But what I, what I remember being so struck by in that book, or one of the ideas, is just the simple, simple idea of washing the dishes unto the glory of God. This little act of taking the pans that just made the meal, that fed the people, and then cleaning those pans so that they can then again be used as an act of new creation the next day for the next meal. See, we don't, we don't see it like that. We see it as a, a big, gross pile of dirty pans that are gonna take a lot of scrubbing and are gonna be frustrating. But Brother Lawrence, and I think the scriptures, they challenge us to transform our thinking towards something as simple as cleaning the pans that were just used to cook dinner. And then when you finally get to that last pan and you place it on the drying rack and the, the sink is clean and empty and the pans are drying, to have that moment where even if you hate washing dishes, and I'm sure many of you do, you hate scrubbing the that, that residue off the bottom. I think all of us love the sight of a clean, empty sink and a, and a pile of drying, clean pots and pans, amen? There is just something good, true, and beautiful about it. And it makes me, a little bit of me, leap for joy every time I see it, whether I did it or whether someone else did. I think the same argument could be made for a pile of dirty laundry made clean or a pile of laundry that needs folded that gets folded and then put away. All of it can be a holy work because all of it's bringing order from chaos, yard work, mowing the lawn, trimming the bushes, cleaning the toilet, yes, order out of chaos. Do we see all of our lives and all of our efforts as connected to building, as connected to all of these different ways that this, a, a dream had become a vision and is now being brought into reality? It's not that we're all gonna be architects and uh, contractors. It's that we're all pu putting forth effort in our lives in all kinds of different ways. And I think we can, we can look at all of those different ways and ask ourselves, is this small thing or seemingly small thing bringing glory to God, then, it, then it's part of the grand building of, of God's world and of God's kingdom of bringing chaos to order. I, I, I ask the question, are you an essential worker in this season? Thank God for the people who work for the sanitation department and come through my neighborhood in this season. I take my daughter on a bike ride on Thursday mornings and she relentlessly complains about the smell and I say, sweetie, that smells a good thing because it means that people have set their trash out and it means that they're coming to take the trash away because they're, somebody's being faithful to the job to which they have been called even in the midst of a pandemic. And that job is just as important as being an architect. It all matters, it all fits in the kingdom of God and that's why that first Ephesians reading is so important because it's Paul's attempt to say all the pieces fit. You may feel this weird 
guilt about not doing this thing over there, this other profession or this other labor, this other craft, spend some time and ask yourself, is that because you really have a drive and a calling to do that or because you feel like society has placed upon you this, this weight that everybody is supposed to do X, Y, or Z? That doesn't work. We need people who stock shelves. We need food. We need farmers. We need sanitation workers. We need plumbers and electricians. We need therapists. We need preschool teachers. We need preschool teachers to love on those little humans, some of those little humans here in Atlanta that are probably gonna grow up and go to Georgia Tech, and after that, they're gonna come up with the next great way to harness the sun's power and to harness wind and to harness water for, for clean electricity and clean power. And some are gonna do a myriad of other things, some who may go and become teachers themselves, or therapists, or sanitation workers, or farmers, or shop owners, or grocers, or coffee shop baristas. Thank God for coffee shop baristas, amen? For the nursing mother feeding their child, you are doing the work of bringing order from chaos. Feeding a child, changing a diaper in the middle of the night, it doesn't get much more chaotic than a dirty diaper in the middle of the night. Paul would have had no idea about any of that because he didn't have kids. Cleaning out a closet or organizing your shed, not just for that reason, but because you know that now your time is going to, and your resources are going to be used so much better on the other side of that. So you're going to be able to spend less money on things that you already have hiding in your shed or your closet, and it's going to take you less time to find those things. So you're going to be more apt and more likely to continue your labors in other areas and other directions. Friends, it's all connected and it's all related, but we want to chop it all up and say, people who stay at home with the kids are this, and doctors are that, and... But it all, it all has a place. Every dish that's washed, every diaper that gets changed, every trash bin that gets taken away. We need people, friends, delivering the mail. Amen? I mean, who would have thought saying we need people delivering the mail would be like a thing that people had to say? But it is, apparently. Is your life part of our collective bringing of bringing to order from chaos? And if it is, I don't think it's a stretch to say that you're washing dishes or you're doing legislation if you're a politician, has the capacity to bring joy to the creator. As long as what you are doing is making the world a more good, true, beautiful, just, righteous, holy place, then dig in and do what you're doing and do it with all of your being and do it to the glory of God, build. We need people to do all kinds of different things in our world today. We don't need everybody to do the exact same. We need implementers, people who can take the vision and then make it real. We need managers. After the vision has been built, the company has been created, we need people who are good at 
good at managing well. We need people who are change agents, who can come into a reality and see where things can be developed. We need bicycle mechanics, because we need a lot more people riding their bikes. We need craftspeople, we need potters, we, we need seamstresses. I don't think clothing's going anywhere. And maybe instead of throwing clothes away when they rip, we need to fix more of them. We need people who invent helpful apps for our mobile devices. Helpful apps. Let me be clear. Helpful apps. I mean, I'm going to go so far as to say maybe we even need video game creators. We just had a couple birthdays in our home and we picked up the new Mario Kart and a couple of additional controllers. So now four of us can play Mario Kart together. And I can tell you that I believe that there have been moments where the divine has been brought joy watching four of us Lloyds in this pandemic sitting there playing Mario Kart and stealing ideas from each other. At one point, all four of us had the exact same character because somehow we believed that that character was the fastest. It's Labor Day weekend, and maybe this morning we simply need to be reminded that our work, our building, our contribution, our dishwashing, that all of it can be just as beautiful and mystical and divine as the unique calling of Mother Teresa in Calcutta, the calling of Desmond Tutu, the calling of Pope Francis, the calling of a local pastor, the calling of someone entering politics, practicing law, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to bring order into this world, to bring goodness, truth, and beauty. And it's all, I believe, an act of worship, an act of gratitude. Maybe so, friends. Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.